Praise the Lord. A man who couldn't preach after that don't need to be preaching, does he? Precious, precious anointing. I love it. I love to be in his presence. How wonderful, wonderful it is. Genesis chapter 2, verse 1, if you would, today. We'll read down through verses 3. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day God ended his work which he had made, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work which he had made. And God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it, because that in it he had rested from all his work which God created, created one word, and made another word. So two separate parts, created and made. I mean, I'd like to be remembered today in prayer before the Lord. Amen. Me too. Heavenly Father, thank you for your awesome presence that was sent here today, Lord, already. We're so grateful that you have a, an order by which that you move, Lord, and We're so thankful for what singing can do. The right songs, the right people, with the right attitude, with the right musicians, what an atmosphere it creates. Lord, we just pray that you'd help us to be able to take full advantage of this atmosphere that's heavenly here today, Lord. As we looked at it last night, Father, we know that Adam was of two worlds, and we know that we are of two worlds. This that we just experienced just a few moments ago, this anointing, this presence, it's not of this world. It's from another world. And it resonates in our souls, Father, of the world that is to come. I pray that you'd help us today, Lord. Take your word and speak to us. As we journey back in time, help us, Father, to be able to see the things that you did and what you had in your great heart to accomplish. May we look toward the future to also see what's laying before us. May we identify it with the present as well. In the name of the Lord Jesus, we ask. Amen. God bless you, saints. You may be seated. So God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it, hallowed it set it apart from the other days because in this God took Shabbat, which is rest. Not that God was tired as we looked at it last night in the sense of human tiredness, the way we would think, because God does not get tired or exhausted. But God ceased from all of his labors. God then set something in motion that was called the Sabbath was a thousand years to be a thousand years of rest. Then we see actually what unfolding here in Genesis 2-3 is that God started a honeymoon. It was Adam and Eve's honeymoon. God had made the man by himself in the beginning, and then he opens up the side of the man and brings the woman. And then God places them in Paradise, Eden, which means pleasure. God put them in his millennium. His millennium was their 
honeymoon. In this great time, how hallowed, how wonderful it must have been. The glory of God that would permeate the trees, the animals, the earth. Even though it's hard for us to imagine in this original state, Adam was able to bear an image of the glory of the Logos. In our minds, when we think of what God gave to man, it was not just a young man and a young woman that had no health issues, or a young man and a young woman which didn't have any burdens or difficulties, but he was made in the image of God and shared a portion of the glory, which the Hebrew word is doxa, the glory, the majesty, the splendor, and actually part of the illumination that was around God. And we know that God can appear in many forms, and He has done that down through the ages, and many times there would be no splendor, no majestic light, no illumination that would come from Him. But there would be other times when He would appear, He would choose to reveal Himself in light and majestic splendor and in colors of rainbow and magnificence. And truly, whenever Adam stood there in the Garden of Eden, he was clothed with a garment of the glory, shared glory of God. Notice, we'll resume here this morning in Psalms 8, verse 3. When I consider thy heavens, the work of thy fingers, the moon and the stars which thou hast ordained, what is man that thou art mindful of him, and the son of man that thou visitest him? For thou hast made him a little lower than the angels, and hast crowned him with glory and honor. Well, let's look at this word now, and I'll repeat it for those that wasn't with us last night. When our translators in the English language, when they went to translate this word, it was so overwhelming for them to place this word as in the original context, <laughs> they just couldn't hardly do it. They just couldn't hardly do it, they, whether they thought it was an error on the side of the psalmist, whether they felt like it could not be comprehended, who knows what they did, but instead of taking archileogos, instead of taking that word which was used for angels, so instead of that word, the word which David penned was Elohim. For thou hast made him a little lower than Elohim which is the true God, which does not signify angelic beings either in creation or by nature, because angels are servants, but we are sons and daughters. Hallelujah. So you could not place angels in the category of Elohim. Now, as I said last night, this stumbles a lot of folks simply because they don't understand. But the word Elohim is actually the plural form of deity. Not that there are more than one God or many gods, but it is the expression of the one God in many attributes. Amen. He is called Adonai. He is called Jehovah. He is called many, many things. But in this one, he chooses to reveal himself in the multiplicity of his form, 
which is deity revealed, all glory to God, and shared with human beings. After the service I sent, Brother Homer Longoria sent me a text uh, and with a quote in it. This morning, Brother Jason Watkins was listening to the service from last night. He sent me another. Well, that God had called man and made him to be a God on the earth. Remember when God called the man Abram and God gave him a great covenant promise and then God led the man Abram up to a particular place and God said, I brought you as far as I can bring you under that old name. I've got to change you. I've got to make you different than what you are. So God divided his name, A-B-R-A-M, and God separated his name and slid part of it this way and part of it this way. And God took the H out of his own name and dropped it down into that name and brought it back together. Now he said, I'm big Elohim and you are little Elohim. He dropped the I off of end of his wife's name, which was Sarai, and called her Sarah. So he drops the I off of the end of her name and gives her the H as well. Glory to God. Think of it. Before they could enter into a body change, they had to have their name changed. Your name, I'm not talking about just renaming you from Donnie and Terry and Fred and Mary and Martha. Uh, Your name is your character or the epitome of who you are and what you represent. So it's important for us to see that God wants to share his deity with his people. For thou hast made him a little lower than the angels. And I read this to you last night. Let's look at it again today. That the original is very emphatic. You can see the Hebrew letters here, which probably most of us cannot read. But it, in, in the interpretation of it, it's this way. Thou hast lessened him for a little time from God. Or thou hast made him less than God for a little time. Thou hast made him less than God for a little time. Praise be to God. And may I say, the little time is almost over. Thank you, Lord. Man was created as God's representative on the earth over the creation, but one step lower than God. In that God breathed into him the breath of life, and he became, of course, a living soul. And you imagine as David with an Old Testament understanding of God, Why would God choose David instead of Jeremiah, Zechariah, Haggai, Malachi, you know, many of the other prophets, and yet God would choose David in order to open up this revelation of the Godhead and of the deity and to allow David to be able to see what God had made him. It must have been absolutely overwhelming. 
Now, the way that science looks at us, they see us as simply evolving from a monkey or an ape or something like that. And they place us just one step higher than animal life. And we know that as far as our bodies are concerned, that there are things about us that bear similarities to the image of animal life. But instead of us actually being just one step higher than animals, we're one step lower than God. You see, the Lord wanted to crown Adam. Oh, God. The Lord crowned him and gave him a dominion over the other creatures. So Adam was actually God's vice regent on the earth. He was the God of the earth. He not only had, you know, the ability to name animals, but I really, looking at this, I really believe from the scripture and from the message that there was a resemblance of deity. There must have been an awe, an aura about him that was different than the serpent. That was different than all the rest of the created beings. And you can't keep from wondering in your mind if there was not a splendor and a majestic appearance about this man and his original condition. Now remember, he was in the state, this first dispensation was the dispensation of innocence. And it was a state of perfection, just just shy of glorification. But it was a glory which could be shared, but a glory which could be fallen away from. Now, you see, whenever God allows a person to enter into glory, this is a very rare occasion by which God will allow any human being to enter into and share an element of his glory. Now, you're thinking, oh, my brother Donnie's finally gone. He's, he's absolutely out of his mind. No, I'm not. I'm going to prove this to you from the word. That God actually shared a part of this glory with Adam. The Bible says that he crowned him with glory and honor. Now, as we look, as I mentioned it last night just briefly, that whenever we go through the process after the, the rapture of the bride, and we are carried up into paradise, more than likely it will be in the streets of glory by which this will take place, that the bride, the elect of the ages, will actually crown our Lord Jesus, King of Kings, and Lord of Lords. In order to do this, you never have slaves to crown a king. You never have people who are not of great position and for a great portion of the time, a sovereign themselves to crown someone else king. It would be so unbecoming to crown the greatest king who has ever been and let slaves and nobodies and nothings crown him king. But it will be, oh glory, his very own wife who has become part of his own sovereignty. It will be deity 
crowning deity. Oh, blessed be the Lord. It will actually be the feminist attributes of the eternal crowning, the masculine attribute, the logos, the great attribute of the fullness of God. Notice this again in Psalms 8, 5. For thou hast made him a little lower than Elohim and hast crowned him with glory and honor. Now notice David is now going back to whenever Adam was there in the Garden of Eden. And he uses the word crowned, which is a tar in the Hebrew. And it, it is to surround, to surround and give a crown. So it is a compound meaning of, of the same word that it would be to surround the man when you would crown him. So you would surround him and you would also give him a crown. So you'd crown him by his position. Now it doesn't necessarily mean that it was a crown of gold or silver or something so much on his head, but it was positionally being placed. But he was surrounded. Oh, thank God. What was it? A robe of sonship. Remember, that's part of the adoption. So thou hast crowned him. But notice what with. With glory and honor. Now look at this word glory. It means glorious, abundance, splendor, dignity, reputation. Sounds like a king to me. So God actually crowned Adam in the Garden of Eden with glory and honor. Now, it was not a glorified body. It was one step away from entering into an eternal state which he could never fall from. But God can actually share his glory with a man and them not be glorified. Hope you understand that. God shared an element of his glory with Moses, with Joshua. I hope you understand where I'm going. God shared an element of his glory with our prophet in this day. Well, come on, don't get mad at me. God shared an element of his glory with his bride. Well, the Bible tells me that the woman is the glory of the man. And the bride is the glory of Christ. So she has no glory on her own. So it is a glory given to her to expressively give back to him. Oh, thank God. Notice that thou hast crowned him with glory and with hadar, which is honor, which means ornament, majesty, and glory. So now you put these together. So the man was surrounded in glorious, abundant splendor, and also with dignity, reputation, with an ornament of majesty and glory. Now, would it have been that rays of light would have emanated from Adam? Well, we'll just have to surmise on that. I don't know. But I do know in the supernatural realm, when we receive the Holy Ghost from us, emanates issues of light. When Brother Branham would look at people and he would tell them, Now, I see that you are a Christian because your spirit is welcome and light is coming from your being. Remember him talking about that they x-rayed a preacher and he was laying hands on people. And as he laid hands on them, issues of streams of light was coming out of the man's hands. 
Right. So we are already sharing an element of the glory of God given to us by our husband. So glory and honor are, so to speak, the crown by which God marks this height of his creation above all the rest of the creation on the earth, which would have been animal life, plant life, and all of that. So God crowns him in a state of superiority. Amen. All created beings then are now subject to him on the earth. So the crown refers to him being adopted and positionally placed, sharing an element of the glory of God. So the king had given to his king the king had given to his king this majesty and splendor by which he would rule upon the earth. By so doing, God is sharing an element of his glory with his son. But now keep in mind, keeping him one step below entering into that word form body or into a glorified condition. Had Adam and Eve entered into that, there would have never been any fall. There would have never been no display of the attributes of God. Amen. And God would have never been able to say that he could save people. Neither could we say, well, I was lost. I was sick. I knew I was this and that. Nope. It would have never been that. So God kept Adam and Eve just one step back from the final stage of glorification. And that is when man and women will step into an 18 to 20 year old looking body and it will be for eternity. Now this was given to no other creature, even the angels of course which are in heaven. But notice in St. John 17, 5, the Lord Jesus says, Now, O Father, glorify thou me with thine own self, with the glory which I had with thee before the world was. Now Jesus was the only one that ever, when he come on the earth, that knew that he preexisted in another form before the presence of God. You and I have been darkened from that and we did not exist as far as a boy or girl or a man or a woman but we were in the thoughts of God yet we shared definitely shared a part of that glory that word glory which God has given to us and that's the glory that we carry today is the glory that is in our soul every now and then we feel little bursts of it that come among us and what is it it's that glory we see him moving among us by healing the sick and doing things that only he can do. What is that? Well, that's a little bit of his glory that's manifesting himself. But he wants to lead us to the final stage of that glory, which the new birth was just the beginning of, and that is to where that whether we are alive and remain, or whether we've gone by the way of the grave, that we will enter into the finality of the glory of God. That is, entering into a body which is like his own glorious body. Remember, one day, you will have a glorious body. Your body will be glorified. You will have the glory that God intended for you to have in the beginning. Every now and then we get a little taste of it right now. When we get sick and the Spirit of God will come in our body and make us well. What is that? A temporary resurrection. 
That's right, temporary resurrection. Notice, so Jesus says, Oh, Father, glorify thou me with thine own self. So it was a shared glory from the invisible Elohim that comes to the Logos. So the Logos comes out of this great light, and when it went out, what was it? It was a little pillar of fire or a little lick of fire. But you look from the little lick of fire back to this, and what do you see? You see the same imagery. So you see part of the shared glory. Remember Moses in Exodus 33, 34 and 35, whenever he wanted to see the glory of God, show me now thy face. He said, no man can see my face, but I will set you in the secret place. There's a place by me. I will set you there. I'll put my hand over the rock and when I pass by, you'll be able to see me. Well, whenever he did, what did Moses see? Saw the back part of a man. And the glory of God with Moses coming off of the mountain was so brilliant that the people couldn't even look at Moses. So so they had to take a veil. Now you imagine the glory, the shared glory of God on a man that didn't even have the Holy Ghost. And this man comes off of the mountain and when he does, they have to take a veil and put over his face because the magnificence and the brilliance and the illumination of God had so bore on this man's face that his face shone with the glory of God. Lord children, what will it be when we get our glorified bodies? And they had to put a veil over his face in order to hide this reflective glory. Remember, it was not his now, but it was a loaned glory from the presence of God. As the moon does not have any ability on her own to make the brilliant, beautiful, calm light as we see during the nighttime, but the moon is only a reflector of the sun in its absence. So the church today, the real bride of Christ, has no light, has no splendor, has no majesty, it is the majesty which comes from the king S-O-N he signs upon his moon wife his moon wife reflects it right back to the earth and it will be that reflected light that will condemn people at the day of judgment but it will also illuminate those who want to be illuminated Amen. Now, it's hard for us to understand and comprehend the glory of God and the glory that must have been upon the man in the beginning because we know so very little about it. The glory is, you know, whenever we think about the glory that God shared with man and what God desires to share even to this day, uh, the word glory would be best used in the way that it would be the magnificence or the brilliance of God. What you would have in your mind when you would look and you would see Him and you would see the angels of the Lord and they would be so bright and streaks of light as they would come down from the presence of God. It is actually a dazzling magnificence that comes from His presence. But yet, even when we think about the Bible, how the Bible projects about heaven. Now, if you ever noticed this or not, but much of what the Bible tells us about heaven, it writes in the negative sense. In other words, in Revelation 21, which is the most clear descriptive passage that we have of heaven in the Bible, and yet it emphasizes mainly not just so much what heaven will be and what heaven will have and what will be in heaven, but it more reflects on the negative side that there won't be crying, there won't be tears, there won't be suffering, there won't be this, and there won't be that. And even the, the greatest passage in the New Testament describing heaven describes it from the negative side. Why? Because we are so darkened from the positive side of the glory of God. God knew the best way to get us to appreciate it would tell us the things that trouble us the most now won't be there. 
Oh, oh, hallelujah. God knew if he wrote about the splendor and the majesty and the brilliance and the glory that we would just sit there dumbfounded and say, I, I can't relate to it. I can't understand it. So God told John, look, John, tell them why I won't be there. They'll get it then. Tell them there won't be no crying. Tell them there won't be no tears. Tell them there won't be no heartache. Tell them no, no, no. But it's still written in the negative side. He'll wipe every tear from our eyes and we say, oh, praise God. No more deaths. We say, praise God. Oh, there'll be no more suffering. Oh, praise God. All the former things are passed away. Praise God. So even our epitome, our view of heaven, it's from the negative side. Why? This is where we are. Under the law of contrast. You imagine what all he could have told us. But he said they can't comprehend it. They will not be able to understand it. So tell them no tears, no fear, no sorrow, no hunger, no pain, no dying, no torment. They'll get it. Amen. Notice this. Glory not only denotes worth acceptance and approval, but also denotes brightness and illumination. <laughs> Luminosity is the word that is used. And we think, how can we be identified with such? You can't. Any of y'all ever been illuminated? You ever shine like a light bulb? Or? No. You ever been gloomy and dark and cast down? And see, you can relate to darkness better than you can light, right? But yet inside of heaven and the splendor of God, what is it about us when we talk about it? We long for such because at one time we had it. Now we did not have it as individuals. We had it as a race. The head, the original head of our race had such brilliance and majesty. Had there been any people on the earth, any beings on the earth which could have talked and related to such, they would have bowed toward Adam and said, Your Highness, Your Royal Majesty. Don't you see how you're fixing to be treated? Oh, I know I call you dirt bags and I call you no good and sorry and rotten and good for nothing. Hey, I'm separating you from you. I'm talking about this old earthly polecat, this old skunk here of ours, this old rotten low down body that we're in. I ain't talking about that soul on the inside. Glory. That soul on the inside is divine from the presence of Almighty God. As a race, we enjoyed such splendor in the original creation of God. Yet, what is man's condition today? He's a disgrace. His body is broken down. Look at us sitting here today. Oh my, those of us that ain't got gray hair before long will have it. We got false teeth, we got glasses, we got toupees, we got women got added to their hair, and we've got gallbladders missing, we got all kinds of stuff missing that ought to be there. Well, come on, saints, somebody that ain't had surgery is facing it. 
What are we? We are a disgrace compared to what we was in the beginning. But remember, you were only placed here for a season of time. And that time is fixing to disappear because this loop of time will be pulled back into eternity again. Lord God. Watch in Romans 8, 17. If children, then heirs, heirs of God, join heirs with Christ. If so be that we suffer with him, that we may also. Amen. Glorified together. Romans 9, 22, what if God willing to show his wrath and to make his power known endured with much long suffering the vessels of wrath fitted to destruction and that he might make known the riches of his glory on the vessels of mercy. Notice the difference. The difference is not the grace that's offered to him. The difference is the vessel. One's identified, oh my, one's identified as a vessel of wrath and the other is identified as a vessel of mercy. It was not that the vessel of wrath was not offered mercy, it was, but it would never receive it. I don't care how much you offer to a vessel of wrath. But why was you able to receive it by divine revelation? Because you was already a vessel of mercy. When you receive mercy, you receive your own. It's who you were. That he might make known the riches of his glory on the vessels of mercy which he had afore prepared unto glory. First Corinthians 2 7 but we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery even the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the world unto our glory. Which none of the princes of this world knew for had they known it they would not have crucified. Now notice the Lord of glory. So you're going to get glory from where? The Lord of glory. Praise God. 2 Corinthians 4, 17, for our light affliction, which is but for a moment. Don't you love that? Remind yourself when you're going through something, feel like about to drive you crazy, just remind yourself, this is only for a moment. It's only for a moment. It's only for a moment. Keep on saying it and you'll convince yourself, this is only for a moment. For our light affliction, which is before a moment, worketh for us a far more and exceeding, listen to this, far more exceeding and eternal weight. Eternal weight of glory. So Paul's laying it here in the scale. He actually uses a mathematical term in the Greek language here when he writes this. And he said, I put them both in the scale and it don't even compare. There's nothing that can compare to what you would go through. As a matter of fact, the light affliction that you're going through. Remember at this time, this man was in prison. He was naked. He was hungry. He was despised. He was rejected. But he said, it's only for a moment. And he said, if this moment is 
working for me in eternity a far more exceeding weight of glory. So I exchange the weight of burdens in life. I exchange the weight of being criticized as being a child of God. And one day I will trade that for a weight of glory. Hallelujah! It's not what you and I can do. It's the grace of God on our lives. Whether do any inquire of Titus, he is my partner and fellow helper concerning you. And our brethren be inquired of. Now listen how what Paul thought about preachers in the first church age. They are the messengers of the churches and the glory of Christ. Well, if you don't think the same thing, you're an error. I'm talking about now make-believe preachers. I'm talking about real men of God. They are messengers to the churches and the glory of Christ. Second Thessalonians 1.10, when he shall come to be glorified in his saints. For he will bring them with him. When the Lord Jesus comes on the rapture morning, he is going to be bringing my two elements which I've been missing all my life. I have the one, the deposited seed. It became converted and burst by his breath. But I'm still missing my theophany. And I'm still missing my glorification. But when he comes, my God shall come and ten thousands of saints shall come with him. So he knocks it. And he ought to know and he experienced the rapture first-handed. Jude, remember, wrote about it. Can you imagine when he comes, he will be glorified in his saints. How? By bringing your glorification with him. He's not only sharing his life in you now, but your new body is an extension of the Logos of God. He is sharing with you the glorification when he raised from the dead. Remember, he looked like a 50-year-old man and he had wrinkles in his face and all that. When they laid him there in the tomb, he had wounds in his hands and in his side. He did not just raise up. He was changed. Insomuch that Mary looked at him and did not recognize who he was. He had allowed his body to age so he didn't raise up looking like he went down, but he raised up as a young man and when he comes he will show that glory with the saints of God he will be glorified in you with your new body when he shall come to be glorified in his saints and to be admired in all them that believe because our testimony among you was believed in that day. Ephesians 3.21, unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. Colossians 3.4, 
when Christ, who is our life, shall appear. Somebody hold my mules. I'm fixing like I'm fixing to take off here. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then, oh, hallelujah, then shall ye also appear with him in glory. Not just yonder. Here. I imagine devils will be running right and left to get down to hell when they see all these glorified bodies on the earth. <laughs> Second Timothy 2.10, Therefore I endure all things for the elect's sake, that they may also obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Hebrews 2.10, For it became him, for whom are all things and by whom are all things in bringing many sons unto glory Amen. to make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings. Friends, it's not just youth that awaits you. Amen. It's not just a young body. Glorification awaits you. Eyes that are beyond what you've ever had. Hearing, speaking, ability to think, ability to say and speak is beyond anything we've ever experienced. First Peter 4.13, but rejoice inasmuch as ye are partakers of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory shall be revealed, you may be glad also with exceeding joy. For if you be reproached for the name of Christ, happy are ye for the spirit of glory and of God resteth upon you. On their part he is evil spoken of, but on your part he is glorified. First Peter 5, 1, the elders which are among you I exhort, who am also an elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, also a partaker of the glory that shall be revealed. You mean to tell me Peter was preaching and believed that he had already entered into an element of that glory? What is it? It's the down payment. Don't you understand what moves on us every now and then? We think, Lord have mercy. The Spirit of God comes on me. I'm going to fly out of this place. The Spirit of God moves on you sometime and you say, give me room. You ain't got enough room up here for me. What is it? It's that down payment of the glory. Then whenever we get our glorified body, it ain't that we're going to be just shouting around in heaven. It will. We will shout ourselves, change ourselves by the power of God into an eternal sphere where we have only dreamed about. Not just singing, jumping, shouting, but into that eternal life. But it quickens us every now and we say, oh, hallelujah. Oh, glory to God. I feel it all on me. Praise be to God. One day it's going to quicken you and you'll be from this into... First Peter 5, 4. When the chief shepherd shall appear... You shall receive a crown of glory. Don't you understand? In the millennium, in the honeymoon, 
You'll be wearing your crown. Not necessarily up here in your head. Your body. Your body will tell the natural people in the millennium, which are not bride, who you are. You see, in the Old Testament, for many, many hundreds of years, only the rich could afford to wear red, scarlet, or purple. Because it was taken from a tiny mollusk in the sea. And they would have to capture thousands of them to come around from Tyre and Sidon in the area where Jonah had sent off from Joppa. One little old tiny thing, and it would put out one drop, one drop of this blood or chemistry on the inside of it. Can you imagine the thousands of them that it would take in archaeological digs? They found thousands times thousands times thousands of these little shells that this mollusk lived in. The dye was being extracted from its body. So for you to wear this color blue or scarlet or purple, why, whenever you walked in town, everybody knew you was a rich man or a thief. You just knocked a rich man in the hand and sold his robe. So what you wore, oh, hallelujah, spoke of who you were. Can you imagine in the resurrection when we look around all of a sudden and there are our loved ones and they're appearing before us and we ourselves become changed and demons go to looking around and say, Lord have mercy. They're being changed. It's on, it's on, it's on. The rapture is here. Why? Because your body will tell who you are. You are dignity. My, you are clothed in majestic honor. Your tabernacle of humiliation has been changed. Imagine an old man or an old woman. They make it into the bathroom on rapture morning. And his teeth are like the stars that come out at night. So he reaches over in the cup. His eyes ain't as good as they used to be, and he puts them in his mouth. Who was it, honey? You got mine. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. They're kind of fumbling around, you know, trying to get everything ready. And all of a sudden, something comes in the room. And one of them looks in the mirror, and it's his mama or her mama. He says, And all of a sudden, that 85-year-old man, the glory of God sweeps over that body and transforms mortal fingernails into eternal ones. Mortal skin. Mortal skin was standing there. You know how old people are and their skin gets really thin. You know, they got all these things and the discrepancies in their body and all of a sudden just a sweep of the glory of God comes on that body and that young man go from 80 and 85 to 20 apiece. And they're standing there. Glory be to God. And their hair has been changed. Their teeth has got back. They didn't just get a transplant from a dentist. They got a whole new set. Woo! Hallelujah! They are not gold filled. They are not silver filled. They are deity filled. Their hair is eternal. Their skin is eternal. Their body is eternal. They are being, hallelujah, glorified with Christ. <laughs> 
I feel it right now. <laughs> First Peter 5.10, but the God of all grace who has called us unto his eternal glory by Christ Jesus after that you've suffered a while make you perfect establish strengthen settle you 2 Peter 1 3 according as his divine power has given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness through the knowledge of him that has called us unto glory and virtue Can go a little bit further. I'm sure y'all ain't wore out yet. I'm the one doing all the sweating and carrying on. <laughs> Notice again, Psalms 8:3. When I consider thy heavens, the work of thy fingers, the moon and the stars which thou was ordained, what is man that thou art mindful of him, and the son of man that thou visitest him? For thou hast made him a little lower than Elohim, and hast crowned him with glory and honor. Thou madest him to have dominion over the works of thy hands. Thou hast put all things under his feet. All sheep and oxen, yea, and the beasts of the field, the fowl of the air, and the fish of the sea. Whatsoever passeth through the paths of the sea. O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is thy name in all the earth. Now let's parallel this with Genesis 2.8. And the Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden. And there he put the man whom he had formed. Bible history can be summarized by four gardens. The Garden of Eden where sin entered. The Garden of Gethsemane where Christ yielded to death. Calvary where he died. Oh, you say there was no garden there. You need to read St. John 19.41. Now in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden. And the heavenly garden. The paradise coming, Revelation 21.1. Four gardens. Garden of Eden. Garden of Gethsemane. Garden of the crucifixion and where our body, the body of our Lord Jesus was raised and the restored garden on the last day. Notice Moses says, and the Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden and there he put the man whom he had formed. Notice he doesn't use the word created. This was done in Genesis 1.26. But this is a reflection of Genesis 2.6-8 where that God formed as a potter would take the clay and form and shape. Sazar is the Hebrew word. That he would form and shape. So the Lord God placed the man, notice this, put the man whom he had formed. Not as soon as he had planted the garden, not as soon as he had completed the botany life and animal life, but God placed him there as the finale of everything he had done. As wonderful as it was when our Lord come to the earth, as wonderful it was when he healed the sick and raised the dead. As majestic as his power was revealed. Yet he chose in the last days in the making of a bride in the middle of hell. 
to reflect one of the greatest displays of his glory. And that is in a resurrection. Then Paul said, when our bodies are changed, then shall be brought to pass the saying, death is swallowed up in victory. How come the Lord Jesus didn't fulfill that passage of scripture? Because he left that glory for his wife. You understand, friends? It's a greater glory. It makes no sense humanly in our mind. It makes no sense. Yet when you look at Solomon's temple and you see the glory of God that come in, and you look at the rededication of that temple some 400-something years later, 558 B.C., when it was dedicated, it was less glory. When you come on down to Herod's temple, it was less glory. When it come down to the temple of God, the Lord Jesus, it looked like as far as man was looking at it, there was no great pillar of fire when he was baptized. There was no great thing that was going on that the majority of the people even knew anything about. It was less manifestation on the outside, but greater manifestation on the inside. It looked like that it was less and less, but in reality, the way God looked at it, it was more and more. Oh my, it looked like when he died there on the cross. My, what a pitiful thing, and we know it was so sad, but it was bringing to pass a greater glory. What kind of greater glory that the wife being the glory of the husband? Notice in verse 9, and out of the ground made the Lord God to grow every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. Now notice we're in the Garden of Eden now. We're not outside Eden. We're not in the rest of the earth. We're in the Garden of Eden. And good for food, the tree of life also in the midst of the garden. And the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And the river went out of Eden to water the garden. A river went out of Eden. Now remember, Eden was like a state. And the Garden of Eden was like its capital. So a river went out of Eden, the state of Eden, into the capital of the Garden of Eden. From whence it was parted and became four heads. So notice it comes down through it and then it divides into four ways, which is of course the Tigris and the Euphrates. Notice then, and the Lord God, in verse 15, took the man and put him in the garden of Eden. Amen. So the Lord God does all this work and all this great epitome of his greatness. Then he brings the man into his position. And the Lord God took the man and put him into the garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. Look at the word keep. To keep, guard, observe, give heed, keep watch. Well, what are you watching for? Now, isn't it amazing that God didn't say, now look, there's a devil out here. You better watch him. There's a devil. There's a sly boy. God didn't have to tell him that. But by his own commission from God, Adam... I want you to take care of this. I want you to dress it. But I also want you to keep it. That tells me and you he's going to have opposition. Oh my, I'll tell you the same thing today as a child of God. Oh, God may do something great and wonderful in your life, but you will have to fight to keep it. Or the devil will rob you of your joy. He'll rob you of your healing. He'll rob you of your understanding of who your pastor is and the importance of coming to the house of God. Come on, saints. He will rob you every revelation you get. You need to protect that revelation because Satan will attack it.
Okay. So we break into the seventh day. The millennium. For God, Adam and Eve. What happened to these words right here? And the Lord God took the man and put him into the Garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. Man failed under the dispensation of innocence to keep God's covenant. God's word. But in the millennium, Christ and his bride will dress and keep it. The devil raising up and gathering the nations to Gog and Magog proves our reign was successful. Because they're mad in the hornet whenever they raise up and the devil comes back up and they're looking for a way out. You know why it testifies of the strength of Christ and the bride. We're not like Adam and Eve was in the Garden of Eden where the devil come in and took over. Nope, the devil ain't going to come in and take over the millennium. He cannot do it because we're there. Dignity is there. Excellency is there. Majesty is there. His and her royal highness is there. And if you don't obey, you don't get no reign. And it will be so successful that at the end of it, the devil goes about to deceive the nation to give them for the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, and holy fire from God out of heaven comes down and annihilates them. Why? Because God will accomplish in the millennium what's not could be accomplished in the dispensation of innocence or the dispensations of conscience or the dispensation of theocracy and government and law and so on and so on. But God will accomplish it in the seventh dispensation, which is the millennium when he said I will set my king upon the throne ask of me and I will give thee the heathen for thine inheritance and the law shall go forth out of Jerusalem and the knowledge of the Lord shall cover the earth as the water I wish somebody would preach with me this morning why it will be the rule and reign of our Lord Jesus with his bride and he will make them obey Happy honeymoon. Listen. Praise be to God. Praise be to God. So here we come. Again, God's last covenant. The last dispensation, the seventh millennium. To the world, it will seem as if though it's a failure. Because Satan will ultimately be released. And the scripture says he must be. Notice we'll pick it up again, Lord willing, next weekend. Revelation 20 and 1, I saw an angel come down from heaven. I love this. We shouted about it last week. Let's just... Enjoy it again today. I saw an angel, not a troop, not an army, not a whole bunch. And the Bible doesn't even say this is a strong angel. Which other places in the scripture will say, I saw a strong angel come down. God said, I want the weakest guy we got. Get down there. It might be the one that had the soft hands that rubbed Elijah on the head that was the kitchen guy. He said, I want you to go down. You got the softest hands. Grab that key. <laughs> Now remember, this is at the beginning of the millennium. And I saw an angel 
come down from heaven having the key of the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. And he laid hold. Glory be to God. That means seized by violence. The word denotes the employment of strength or force. So he laid hold. Look, friend, any time God gets the devil to drive that, that devil away from your life, don't you understand? It don't take 57 preachers praying for you. It don't take a whole big page of quotes. All it takes is the Spirit of God in the weakest of ways to bring your deliverance. He laid hold on the dragon. That old serpent. Which is the devil and Satan. Boy, this guy's got a lot of names, ain't he? Why, he's an actor. He's an imposter. Will the real devil stand up and bound him a thousand years? Praise God. You imagine he's the prince of the power of the air. God of this age. Ruler of this present world. Prince of the power of darkness. And one angel. Why? He's not omnipotent. He's not all-knowing. He's not all-powerful. He can't be everywhere at the same time. He's not bigger than you. He's not bigger than the mighty God that lives in you. One angel. Puts a handcuff on him. He got a chain. It wasn't iron. wasn't steel. It was a chain of circumstance. So you imagine, here's these words, C-I-R-C-U-M-S-E-A-N-C-E. So he's got this great change. And says, think you're going to bind me with that? Listen, son, this will hold you there for a thousand years. Isn't it amazing? The scripture doesn't mention nothing about binding those, the rest of the demons. But you bind the boss, you get the whole company. He's the CEO of hell. Bind up the CEO, you got the whole thing in captivity. him into the bottomless pit and shut him up. Lord, I like that. And set a seal upon him that he should deceive the nations no more till the thousand years should be fulfilled. And after that, he must be loosed a little season. You see, even in this, why in the world would God allow the millennium to go down in defeat? It ain't going in defeat. God's proving the same thing he's proved in the other six dispensations. Man's heart is evil. And without divine intervention, man cannot save himself. You imagine some of these people be 700 years old, some of them 800 years old. No telling how old they will be. They've been under the dominion reign of the Lord Jesus for hundreds and hundreds of years. And it still didn't change them from within. As soon as they get the opportunity, they go straight to the devil. Thank God you've been changed. Verse 7, And when the thousand years are expired, Satan Satan shall be loosed out of his prison. Praise God. And shall go out to deceive the nations which are on the four quarters of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together to battle, the number of whom is as the sand of the sea. Thousands times thousands, maybe millions. 
Imagine all these people were peaceful millennium dwellers. But they still wasn't saved. We've had people in our churches like this. They succumb and they comply and they get rid of this music and quit doing this and quit doing that. And all of a sudden they get sick and tired of it. I'm tired of somebody telling me how to live. Well, somebody's going to tell you here or somebody's going to tell you out there. You make your choice of which one you want to listen to. And as soon as they get a choice, you'll imagine by the time. Here they come. And what's amazing to me is here they come past the holy city, the beloved city of God, Jerusalem. And there's not a peep that comes from the city. Christ and the saints are in total silence. Nothing is said. They're not rattling sabers. But the Almighty says, this one's up to me. Just stay in the city, darlings, and enjoy the last few hours of your honeymoon. I'll take care of this. Don't you love him, children? (laughs) This rebellion proves, even under perfect theocracy, of God's king. Man cannot live right. If man does not give his untamed soul to God, he cannot live right. This is why our children need an experience. Our children need the baptism of the Holy Ghost just like our adults do. We can raise them for years in the message. Don't do this, honey. Don't do that, honey. God sent a prophet, honey. You ought to do that. But don't leave out the Holy Ghost for them. Lest they wind up being like this. Let's bow our heads together. I trust today was a help to you and a blessing to you. Praise God. Lord Jesus. I always thank you today for your word, Father. Lord, it's more than our minds can comprehend the greatness of the Almighty. We as David say, what is man that thou art mindful of him, or the son of man that thou visitest him? But we got a little clearer view this weekend. I was made him a little lower than Elohim for a time, for a season. If Adam had not been projected down below Elohim, the mortal season could have had no effect at all. But the mortal season brings out attributes out of our great one. What the quote Brother Homer sent me last night was that to give yourself reason and purpose of being, you had to predestinate a people that would require salvation. What a beautiful, phenomenal statement. In order to give yourself reason and purpose of being. Praise God. The eternal that lived by yourself for the ceaseless ages. But yet you needed a purpose. A reason of being. And you subjected the earth. You subjected us from the book of life. To vanity. Uselessness. Formlessness. Without purpose and void. In order to give yourself purpose of being. If Adam would have never fallen in the Garden of Eden, your attributes of Savior, Redeemer, would have never been displayed. You could have created all of your children from 
your personal diary, which is the Lamb's book, which you gave to Adam. You could have spoke our names, and we would have come through Mother Eve. As the prophet said, she should have brought us forth. She should have given birth to Isaiah, to Christ, to all of us. But instead, you stopped man short of the perfection of a glorified body. Deprived him of that last degree of being like Elohim. And at the end of the way, you could have told us there, children, I'm a great healer. I'm a great savior. I'm a great keeper. But, of course, none of y'all is lost. But at the end of the way, when we get there, it won't be you telling us. It will be us telling you. Oh, Papa, I was lost when you found me. Papa, I was in, in the darkness of sin. I was in such wretched state. Even my mama gave up on me. My daddy gave up on me. The church, the pastor. I didn't nobody think there's no hope left. But Papa, you reached down and you saved me. There'll be millions that'll be thronged, oh God, around your throne. Another one will raise up and say, I was, a, I was a prostitute in that former life. I was a drunk. I was a liar. I was... This and that and the other. All millions of testimonies of the grace of God will say, Oh, Papa, we was lost and you found us. We was yours. We were your sons, your daughters. But you wanted to project the greatness of your attributes. Now he can say, Oh, children, now you're back where I wanted you. Look at your bodies. They're like mine. We've been here for 100 billion years if we could count time. Not a one of you have aged a day since the rapture. You are sharing my glory, little children. Oh, blessed be the Lord God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. We worship you today, God. Can we sing that, Harry? Can we just worship him a little bit, children? Got a few minutes before we go, before we go have your, have your lunch. Praise God. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Papa God, you saved me from my old life. Amen. Forgave me, Lord Jesus, you cleansed and made me whole. You've touched my heart and changed my soul. Now I know I need you so. Oh, Papa God. Save me from my old life. You forgave me. You cleansed and made me whole. You touched my heart. You changed my soul. Now I know I need you so. Papa God, you say, 
Touch my heart, you change my soul. Now I know I need you so, Papa God. Oh, Papa God, you saved me from my old life. You forgave me. my heart you change my soul now I know I need you so Papa God Papa God you save me from my old life you forgave me cleansed and made me whole you touch my heart you change my soul now I know I need you so Papa God Papa God you see from my old life you forgave me you cleansed and made me whole you touched my heart you changed my soul now I know I need you so Papa God It won't be long Till we'll be leaving here It won't be long Oh, I'll be going as we count the weeks as days any day now we'll be going home it won't be long 
as mine. All is worshiping saints. He's worthy. He's worthy today. Oh, bless your name, Lord Jesus. this little song as we're dismissed. I'm going home. I'm going soon. Amen. Come back believing and expecting Wednesday night service at 7. Amen. Oh, I'm going home. I'm going soon. this morning.